Welcome to Graduating Grief, a podcast designed to help you step back into living your life with joy after loss. If you're ready to move from surviving to thriving, you've come to the right place. Here's your host and inspirationista, Sherry Dunlevy. I'm so excited to talk with Susan Angel Miller about not just her book, Permission to Thrive, but her story and her journey from surviving the death of her daughter, Laura, to living a life of Thrive and what she's learned along the way because she has so much insight and so much information that can help anyone who is in the process of graduating their grief. Susan, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let me start this off with you telling me a little bit about Laura. What was she like as a daughter? Well, thank you for asking about her. It's one of the things that I wish more people would do. Um, Laura was um, 14 and a half um, when she passed away. And she was a, um, a first semester in high school. And she was just really an incredible teenager. She was kind of old beyond her years. And even when she was a, a kid, she wanted to play with the, uh, or talk with the playground attendants more than kids her own age. Um, very academically motivated, loved to draw dress designs and wanted to be editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine. So she was just a um, really interesting, kind teenager. And so what happened? Well, so my husband and I were leading this kind of normal life in the suburbs of Milwaukee. And we had Laura, who was 14, and Sarah, who was 12, and Rachel, who was nine. And we were living just um, just a normal family life. And she, uh, Laura started complaining of headaches in, let's see, middle of January of 2009. So almost 11 years ago. And she started complaining about the headaches. And I just thought, okay, some Tylenol. She's a teenager. Let's just see how it goes. And then she started um, asking me to take her out of school because the headaches were getting bad. And then we went to her pediatrician and the pediatrician gave her a neurological exam and seemed like everything was fine. And then on, oh, they, they kept getting worse. And I, on Wednesday morning, it was a school day. She had been in school on a Tuesday afternoon and she, um, she woke up, she threw up seven times. She asked me why I had four eyes. And within another 15 minutes, she had had a seizure. And this is all just suddenly. And so we called 911 um, and took her to the hospital. And what we found out is after a CT scan and an MRI, um, they told us that she had a mass at the back of her head, um, that the tumor could be operated on in two days. So this was a Wednesday and the operating room would be available on Friday. And so I immediately thought, okay, It'll get removed, it'll be benign, and we'll go on with our life because that's how our lives had always been. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, she was taken up to her hospital room where later that night she continued to complain about the headaches getting worse. They, uh, the nurses eventually gave her some pain medication and she had an, a bad reaction to the pain medication and all of a sudden stopped breathing. We were in the room watching this 
They rushed her down to the operating room where they um, put a shunt in to relieve the pressure in her head. And we waited and the doctor, the surgeon came out and he told us, well, the procedure went okay, but she's not responding the way we'd hoped. And the next thing we knew, we were being brought up to the ICU unit where she was hooked up to every possible machine. And as a mom, I kind of immediately knew that something was very wrong and that she, she just wasn't there anymore. Um, and this was, it was so sudden, it was ridiculous. And it took us another three days in the hospital with our friends coming by and helping us just you know, keep this vigil um, um, and on that Saturday morning, so three or four days later, that Saturday morning, they took her down for a final MRI and the surgeon told us that um, she was legally brain dead. Hmm. So. I'm so sorry. So there's yep. no time, there's no preparation, there's nothing. It's just, it, you were probably, what is going on? in my life right now. I cannot believe this. This is, this. we compare it to like a car crash mm -hmm. more than a cancer diagnosis. What she ended up having was something called a medulloblastoma tumor, which is a childhood cancer, a, a rare childhood cancerous tumor that only affects like 250 to 500 children a year in the US. So it was like we, she and we won the lottery in reverse. Um, and it, they told us it was unpredictable, unpreventable, incurable. So she was a ticking time bomb, but no one knew it. Yes, unfortunately. And we had to come to grips with that. And how do you come to grips with that? Um, a very good, a very good question. And I'm not quite sure. I think your body goes into this protection mode and you're in shock during those for sure first couple of days first couple of weeks when you're surrounded by friends and your community and you have to go through the funeral and we just had to kind of continue moving forward even because the clock still ticks even though this horrendous event has upended your life and we also had our other daughters to parent and so um we, we kind of just one foot in front of the other and just about about six weeks into it, um, I remember I went to a therapist to talk through what I'd been feeling and maybe it was six weeks, eight weeks. And I said to her, you know, I don't feel as sad as I thought I would feel after a daughter died. And I don't understand why other people seem more upset than I do. You know, I have to comfort them. And she said, Susan, she said, the sadness will come. Don't worry. And unfortunately it did. It's all the adrenaline, I think, that uh, has fired up. And um, I get that. I get that. I wondered that myself after the death of my son was, what's wrong with me here? You know, but it does creep in and it lays very heavy and so when that sadness came when it started laying heavy you know i think that there comes a time where you have to say i can you can you, you have a choice people always say uh, one of the you have a choice you can either stay laying in the fetal position and let this take you out 
or you can gather what little strength that you have and pull yourself back up to eventually where you're standing and moving forward. Did you have that? Well, absolutely. Um, and now, you know, in retrospect, I can see how we handled it. Um, and we just somehow between my husband and I, we had met in high school, we had had a very, you know, long, strong relationship. And we just somehow silently agreed that we were going to keep going forward and keep parenting our children. And yes, this horrible thing had happened, but we couldn't, we couldn't fix what had happened. We couldn't go back in time and we didn't want to sacrifice our children's lives or our lives to what we couldn't undo. And when we had 40 or 50 years still left, this happened when we were 43. And just the thought of living without Laura was so horrific and unbelievable, but being miserable for the rest of our lives also seemed untenable. So we had to figure it out and there was no guidebook to tell us what do you do when your 14 and a half year old daughter dies suddenly from a rare brain tumor and leaves you with every life assumption upended. And I, I would say that this is kind of, it was like a trauma. It was a trauma we went through. Um, yeah, so I, I had to really start thinking through how to put it into context and how to integrate it into our new identity. I mean, we had gone from a private family in Milwaukee. It's a pretty tight-knit community, but we'd gone from being private to being the family that lost their daughter suddenly. And that was a big change for us. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things that I remember. I always say I let my, my, my son's death could either define me or it could refine me. And I did not want to be known as the poor news anchor who lost her son. I, I did not want to be my life to be remembered from just that instance. Not that it wasn't important not that it wasn't heartbreaking, not that it was, um, you know, valid, but it was a part of my journey, not my definition of my life. I so relate to that. Um, and that's what we had to navigate is that, I mean, death and, and mourning is so, um, it's just so awkward in our society and we just don't aren't trained or educated about how to handle those relationships and that reality of our life and so you know we were still parenting our children in this same neighborhood and and i still wanted to go to starbucks i still wanted to go about my daily life to the grocery store and i had to run into people and those looks of you know the downturned mouth and the that that look of pity that I didn't want. I mean, I understood it, but I had to kind of teach the other people how to handle my grief. And that's a little odd when you're in pain and you have to teach other people. <laughs> yes, I, I, remember, I remember instances like that immediately that come to mind. So your memoir is Permission to Thrive. So I can see that you're, you're setting yourself up for the thriving but i think that a lot of people think oh time just heals all wounds and i say no it's time plus hard work i'm sure you've done a lot of hard work have you not susan 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's definitely been a journey. I'm smiling right now, um, but it's been an up and down. Um, it's just been, it's been a journey of growth, honestly. And I'm thankful that I, we have struggled with the issues surrounding her death, the loss, the sadness, but also regaining the joy in our lives. And, you know, I learned about a, a topic called post-traumatic growth mm -hmm. that really changed the way I thought about grieving. Um, my sister-in-law asked, um, my sister-in-law works with um, veterans returning to civilian life. And one day she just asked me, Susan, have you heard of post-traumatic growth? And I, I just looked at her with a strange look and I had heard about post-traumatic stress disorder, but never post-traumatic growth. And when I thought about those words, it just made me like relax. It made me take a breath because here, you know, a couple of years out, we were thriving as a family again. We had kind of gained our equilibrium back and we were living. And I, I felt guilty about that. I mean, we had lost a daughter and how could we still be surviving and thriving? And I, she left and I, I looked up on Google what post-traumatic growth was all about. And it was like, check, check, check. We kind of fit that, we fit what post-traumatic growth was all about, which is that people who go through trauma or a significant loss, they, that you can experience you know, increased compassion or greater gratitude for your life and deeper friendships. And, and these were all things that we had experienced. Um, so it, it really gave me that permission to like, be more than okay. Yeah, I, I love that term. I absolutely love that term. So after you learned that term, how did you move forward? And, and what is thriving to you? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I love the word. Um, I love the word because it's, you know, we hear a lot about resilience, especially today during the pandemic. And I think the difference between this idea of resilience, which is kind of bouncing back to your status quo before the bad event happens, mm -hmm. is different than post-traumatic growth. Because with post-traumatic growth, you're like bouncing further ahead. You're struggling with the emotions. You're not avoiding them. You're, you're confronting the pain mm -hmm. and you're moving through it. And so the thriving part is it's better than okay. It's, it's, it's having been changed by the bad event, but then learning that there's like this other side of life that has more meaning, more depth, and to understand that life is not all about like rainbows and butterflies and happiness all the time, but it's that you gain the meaning and the purpose through those. I get it. I get those it. Bad events. And I want people to realize too that, you know, we are speaking about thriving uh, through your grief as a result of your grief that you you can you know step out of your pain and step into you know a living a life of thrive 
However, it does not mean that you don't have those moments and those waves of grief. I, that's what I want people to think. How could you be happy all the time? You're not happy all the time. You just have a way of looking at life in a whole nother way, right? Or a bigger picture way. It's never an either or. Yeah. I mean, that's what the word bittersweet is all about, right? You know, you can be happy that one child is graduating from high school, but be really sad that your other daughter will never get to that point. Um, so you can be, you can, emotions are all about being opposite of each other. And sometimes you can hold those two emotions in your hand at the same time. And that's okay. And I, I think that that's important to understand. Um, you know, we've gone through a lot as a family and it, it what we've learned is kind of, for us, the more challenges we've had, the more determined we are to overcome them. Um, you know, one of the things that happened to us in addition to the death of our daughter is I ended up having my own brain tumor diagnosis, which is kind of crazy. A couple of years after Laura died, I started having my own headaches mm -hmm. and was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor, but ended up having to have brain surgery to remove the tumor. So here, this idea of thrive after losing a child and then having to go through my own health crisis, it, it was just like crazy to me that yes, we could still bounce back. But it, you don't do it alone. I mean, we did have a community of friends and, and neighbors that, that helped us out. And I think that's one of the lessons that I learned about grief and going through trauma is you really need to be in a healthy space before these events happen in order to survive them in a better way. So, you know, having friends and, and trying to be emotionally and physically healthy before the bad thing happens, it just makes it easier. I agree, but you know, I think that it, it does, but I still, th I was a very negative person prior to the death of my son and I'm much more optimistic and much more hopeful now, which confuses a lot of people. They don't understand that. Um, right. And maybe right. that's why it took me a lot longer in my journey to thrive. You know, do my own work. I, I think that that's, that's the point of that each person's grief journey is so individual because we're all individual people with different life experiences. And one of the cons, I, when I give presentations about my book and my journey, I often will mention, when I mention the term post-traumatic growth, growth, I have to say to people, you know, this is not a Pollyannish concept. It's not something that um, means it, that this growth happens just automatically. Um, and many people never experience the growth. But, and you shouldn't judge anyone for how long it takes them or to the extent of their growth. Um, all I know is this was our experience and this was, there, this was our wisdom that we got from going through these big challenges. Right. And so I love how, you know, one of, I, I love how you say it is everybody's own journey but that you you want to you want to move forward and you are growing through this um, a lot of times that growth comes from not concentrating on the question why 
if you spend too much time on the question why, I think you're gonna find yourself stuck. Yes. You seem to have focused on, okay, now what? Where do we go from here? How do we move forward? And you have made meaning of not just your lives, but keeping Laura's memory alive uh, through so many different ways. Would you care to share with us? Sure, sure. Well, so um, when Laura, when we were told in the hospital that Laura was um, basically legally brain dead, her brain wasn't working anymore, but she was still breathing with the help of a, of a ventilator, um, we went up to the family waiting room and an organ donor um, um, procurement coordinator, I think they call it, came up to us and asked us if we would consider donating Laura's organs. And at that time, we, we really didn't know what to say because we were in shock, obviously, and devastated. And we'd always thought that, you know, organ donation was this noble, abstract concept in the abstract, in theory, never thinking that we would have to make that decision for our family, right? That happened to other people's families on the news. Um, and here we were presented with this, this question and she had been in school on a Tuesday. This was only Saturday morning. What should we do? And um, after talking to our family and our, especially our 12 year old daughter who was very passionate that we should do this, um, we ended up agreeing to donate her organs and what was miraculous is her liver ended up being flown out to upstate New York and being matched with a 40 year old woman. Her name is Trish and she was basically on her deathbed after being in a coma for 10 days and we've now met her four or five times and that has, that has given us a lot of meaning. Laura's legacy is I mean, Laura, Laura is alive in that way right now, and she saved a person's life. That's beautiful. So that's a whole other aspect of our story that I talk about in, our, in the book. I, I, um, there's just, there's been a lot of, it's like a domino effect. It's like a ripple effect that has happened from this. And it's not that we would ever, ever want to, you know, we had this growth, but we would never want to, lose Laura, you know, we would never trade that growth for Laura's life. And I, and it's hard to explain that in more definitively, but I think we have, I have to accept that this is our experience and that I want other people to understand that losing a child, yes, it's a parent's worst nightmare, but it doesn't mean you need to wear black forever and be miserable forever if that's not what you're feeling. That you don't need to feel guilty for finding that joy in your life. Well, that's what I want to create with graduating grief. I want to create a, a community of people that are experiencing that post-traumatic growth and give us the encouragement, give us the permission, help us hold our hands and encourage us when we're feeling that guilt. To, it's okay. And, you know, you said something I thought was very interesting. You said, you know, we would never trade this. Well, were you ever given the, the, the chance, right? You're not given the chance. So, so it's a moot question. Exactly. And we weren't given, the, people would say to us, Oh, but Susan, you never got to say goodbye because she, 
you know, it happened so quickly. Well, we didn't have the choice. This is how it happened. And right. for me, um, I think about parents sitting in a children's hospital, knowing that their children are going to die for months and potentially years. We didn't have that. Ours was very sudden and, um, and quick. So for us, we've had to just accept that that's what happened to Laura. And that was for the best that that's, we didn't have a choice as to have an extended time with her to say goodbye. And what would we have said anyway to a 14 year old knowing that she was going to die? I mean, so right. it was like, we had to just say, instead of like shaking our hand at God saying, you know, why us and being bitter, we had to just say, why not us? And that this is part of, it's part of life, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It's, it hurts, but I, I was one of those people who shook my hand at first. So I want to let people know that, again, everybody's journey is different and you can choose at any time yes. to make it different. Exactly. And I, I think that there is no, we shouldn't be judging anyone one way or the other for how they handle their emotions. I think what I've learned is you have to go through it. You have to go through the feelings. Um, you can't go around it. You can't go under it. You have to go through it and it's painful and you have to learn how to maybe have those painful moments and then do something nice for yourself. And then, um, and then there are triggers then that you don't even know are going to happen, right? You know, the holidays are coming up. You might not feel the pain and the emotions on the actual holiday, but you might feel something icky in your stomach or your throat in the days preceding it. Yeah. And yeah. you just have to accept that that is what grief is. It's not, it, it, it doesn't come in a pretty package that you yeah. can predict. No, or that you can schedule. <laughs> you can schedule, that's a good one. That's a good one. Right. Um, so permission to thrive. What is your main message that you want people to know through your book? I think that I want people to know that even when life throws you a lot of curveballs and a lot of, um, whether it's tragedy or adversity, that we do have that choice of, of taking one step at a time that, and we have to understand that, we have to believe in, and hope that even though today is a really bad day and we're fearful and we're anxious and we're kind of in despair that the next day could be better and m might well be better. Um, and to rely on the resources that you have in your life to kind of get you through that. Um, yeah, I think that it's, it's an important message for people to, to give them hope that, yes, I've been through a lot I'm still standing here. I'm trying to spread the message just like you are that, um, that life isn't over and that it shouldn't be over after facing a big challenge. And it can be beautiful and you can find joy. I have more self-confidence now than I did before her death. I have to say, um, I, it's a, a certain internal confidence that I've gone through the worst. And so, very little scares me anymore. 
um, yeah, and I found meaning in life because I'm I'm helping other people just like you are, and and that feels good to have found your purpose. Yes, absolutely. Is there anything else that you'd like us to know about you or your daughter or your work? Well, um, I just finished narrating my audio book um, during during the pandemic. That was my achievement, and. I always wanted to narrate the story in my own voice. I wouldn't have let anyone else do it. It wouldn't have been right. But now my children and grandchildren can remember Laura in, in my words and, and the events that happened. And um, so it's also available in you know paperback and, and ebook. And I go around and I now it's more virtual, obviously, but I'm basically helping people as well with just understanding what grief is all about and and tell and through through storytelling is how people learn um and that's so that's what i'm all about these days so you know feel free to to i'd love for everyone to keep in touch with me and i really appreciate you having me wonderful well we'll put all your information and links to your book permission to thrive in the show notes susan thank you very much for spending time with us today thank you sherry i appreciate it thank you for listening to the graduating grief podcast for more information on the Graduating Grief community, workshops, and retreats, go to www.sherrydunlevy.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, and share.